Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today we're continuing our series, and I invite you to take your Bible, your phone, or your smart device as we look together to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Here we're going to be looking at those first six verses. First six verses. I hope you've been enjoying this series. We've been talking about raised to life. And this week we're going to dig a little bit deeper in as Paul shows us what it means to be a follower of Christ. And here's what Paul says. Follow along with me. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Chapter 7, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. And just a side note, Stephanie, I plan on living a long time, okay? so Because I love you. All right. That was not in my notes. That's not in the listening guide either, Okay. As long as he's alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Amen, amen. Aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit that empowers us? See, today we're talking about one of the biggest misconceptions as it relates to being a Christian. And a lot of times, maybe you're like me, to where when people... I'll start talking about things. The, the label Christian can be a little bit misleading or a little bit confusing. Have you found that? Because when we say the word Christian, people have all these different ideas that come up. Some are accurate to what Christ meant and some are inaccurate. So a lot of times I'll tell people, I'm a follower of Jesus. Have you ever done that? Because you're trying to bring clarity, right? Because if you say Christian, you're like, I'm not like those crazy people over there who are not following Christ. I'm following Jesus. This is who Jesus is. And in walking this out, Sometimes we're dealing with misconceptions that can get us off track. See, one of the big misconceptions, I believe, about Christianity, about being a Christ follower, is that we believe that if we say the right prayer, if we do the right things, then life is going to go the way we want it. Have you found that to be true? Right? But that's one of the misconceptions when I talk to people. They're like, well, I prayed and nothing happened. I did the right things. I was a good boy this week. And I still had trouble. Have you ever had that struggle in your mind? It's like, God, I'm doing the right things. What's happening? This is one of the big, big misconceptions because we've forgotten the key word in this is that in following Christ, we are following Christ. We are following after him. And here in this chapter, Paul is outlining one of the first things that we do in following him. Because in following Christ, one of the first things that we are called to is to follow him in death. 
follow him in death. And that's difficult, isn't it? Following him in death. And this is the struggle in following Jesus. In Ephesians, it's described as putting off the old life. Jesus called us to deny ourselves. And now here in Romans, Paul is saying that we need to die in Christ. See, the struggle in following Jesus is in walking in his steps. That's the struggle. But we need to realize that it's in following Jesus in the struggle that we also follow him in the victory. And that we are more than overcomers through him who loved us. So we need to embrace that struggle. And today as we look at chapter 7, this first part, there are just three key things that I think Paul is trying to pull out to us. And here they are. First thing we're going to talk about, Paul references the power of the law. So we're going to look into that very briefly, what that means. The second thing that Paul goes into is he talks about death, meaning that we die with Christ. Because this is our way out. Our way out is in dying with Christ. And then the third thing that Paul is emphasizing here in these few verses is that this is all empowered by our new life, which our new life is in the Spirit. Amen? Are you ready to receive from the Word of the Lord today? Lord, we're ready to receive. And Lord, I'm just holding my palms up just as a sign and saying, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Speak to us. Lord, speak through me. Let your words flow through me. Not my agendas, not my thoughts, but who you are. Help us to receive your word, we pray. And everyone said together, Amen, amen. So in the beginning of this, one, of the, one thing that Paul references is he's referencing the power of the law. In verse 4 and then in verse 7, he talks about the power of the law. See, the people that, that Paul was talking to, the law was very attractive to many of the Jews. This is why Paul keeps bringing it up. And when Paul talks about the law, he is talking about the law that was revealed to Moses at Mount Sinai. Those of you who read the Bible, you, you remember how God uh, rescued them from the Egyptians out of slavery, and now he's leading them into a new life. But the problem is, when you've been bound for so long, it can be very difficult to walk in freedom, can't it? And so they were reverting back to some of the old ways. They were reverting back to the worship of pagan gods. So many things were happening. So God gave them the law to teach them how to follow God and how to live at peace with each other. They needed this direction. They needed this direction. And if you were here last week when Pastor Stephanie spoke, she talked a little bit about this when she talked about boundaries and about how the boundaries actually give us freedom. I love to hear an illustration of an artist that when an artist begins to create something, they start looking at the medium. And if it's a canvas, it's like, how big is the canvas? Because they want to know how big they can get out. I have a good friend uh, who's an artist downtown, and how he paints on a canvas this big is very different than how he does a mural that's down an alley in a street, right? When he's here, he's very precise. With the mural, he's throwing stuff, and I'm like, man, that would not look good if I did that. But this is a struggle. So God gave them the law to teach them how to go. And see, the Jewish people, they love the law. When you look at the hymn book for the Jewish people, which is what we call the Psalms, You read words about the law like this, that it's described as being perfect, reviving the soul, more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. That's Psalm 19. And then a hundred Psalms later in Psalm 119, it says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. See, boundaries are great. They're very important. So why is Paul talking about these boundaries, this law, in a negative way here in the book of Romans? Well, theologian and pastor John Piper points it out, and he says it this way. He says that many in Israel, they twisted the Mosaic law into legalism. 
That is, they severed it from its foundation of faith and they failed to stress dependence on the Spirit and thus turned the commandments into a job description for how to earn the wages of salvation. Did you hear that? It was twisted. It was removed from the foundation of faith and it became a means to an end, a way through which they could earn salvation. But see, when everything becomes about the law, when we lose the heart and the purpose, we struggle, don't we? And I think that's true in anything in life. If you walk through life just trying to follow the laws and trying to follow the right rule, how many know that's not the way to life to the full? It becomes all about the law. And Paul, when he's talking about this, back in chapter 3, he says that the law, it reveals sin, but not salvation. In chapter 4, he says that the law, it brings wrath, but not grace. See, the law, it can't justify a person. The law cannot save us because nobody obeyed all the laws except for Jesus. Jesus was the only one. That's why it was said that Jesus, he came to not do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. But see, we, in our own flesh, there's no way that we can meet that bar. I don't care how long of a pole you have. You're not going to be jumping over that bar. I can't. And see, this causes us to struggle. And I think one of the challenges, one of the biggest challenges that we have as followers of Christ is our struggle with habitual sin. It's a struggle with habitual sin. See, when I come to Jesus, there are so many things that are immediately washed away. How many of you have experienced that? You come to Christ, so many things are washed away. There's so many things that I no longer have an appetite for. There are things that I'm just, I'm made clean, I'm made new. But as I walk with Jesus, I find that there are some areas that there are a little deeper hooks in my life. How many you found this to be true? Or am I the only person that struggles with that? No? There are hooks. There are hooks. And we have ministries that help with a lot of these big hooks. That's why we promote ministries like Pure Desire, that when you're struggling with pornography, you need help in walking with Christ in that because Christ is not rejecting you. He's trying to pull you closer and saying, let me help you in this. Ministries like Celebrate Recovery for all areas pulling in because there are these deep hooks that get in our life. Paul even said this. Paul said in Romans 7, starting in verse 15, he said, I don't really understand myself. How many can relate? For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And you may go, how can Paul say that? How can Paul be struggling with sin? See, so many things were cleansed, so many things that were there. So how can we follow Jesus and still have struggles? This is a big hang-up for us. But see, Jesus told us, Jesus told us that everyone has struggles, even those who walk with Jesus. So walking with Jesus, walking without struggles, you're going to have trouble. I have trouble. You have trouble. All God's people, they got troubles. Trouble, 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 trouble. Everyone has it. See, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Well, thank you. Awesome. But the good news is, is that Jesus, he leads us out because he goes on there in John 16, 33, and he says, but take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. What Jesus is saying, everyone has trouble, but take heart. I have overcome, and I'm going to lead you out of this thing. We're going to get out of this. But he's telling us that it is a process. And how many of you just hate process? You just wish that somebody would come up and go, here you go, take it, done. 
But we need the process. Because sometimes we can be given something without a process, and the process makes sure that we're ready to walk in it. Have you noticed that? There's a process in work. You come in, and you may want to be the top salesman in a company, but you may have to start washing cars and work your way up. I heard a great story this week about a great car company here in Seattle, how one of the top people in that company started off washing cars, and he worked his way up. Isn't that amazing? There's a process. Do you know what that person learned going up through that company? So many steps. Because, see, when we come to Jesus, we need to remember that Jesus, he instantly justifies us. You are now right. You are a child of God. You're going to spend eternity in heaven. Hallelujah. You're justified. But now, Jesus walks with us in this process. The theological term is, it's a sanctification process. And that's a process of of now being made Christ-like. So many things happen. We are justified. We are with Jesus. You can be secure in your faith. He loves me. He's with me. I'm justified. I've confessed my sins. I'm there. But there's a process of walking out. Just like when you were born into the family. As a little baby, you were part of that family. But could you do everything that you were meant to do at the age of zero? I couldn't. And if you could, you would have been all over YouTube by now. See, it's a process. And as I was thinking about this and praying through this this morning, I had this illustration of one of the things that I loved to do as a kid. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do was to play in the mud. How many people love playing in the mud? Okay. I loved it. I grew up in an area where it rained a lot, so there was lots of just this artist material to work with. And so I would be able to play with my friends in the mud all day doing a lot of stuff. And then I would come to show up, and i want to come in the house. And Mom would say, Dwayne, you got to wash off first before you come in the house. Even more fun. So I would stand there, and my buddies, they would, you know, fight for the right to hose me off. They would hose me off and get everything done, and I would be dripping wet. And I looked a lot cleaner than I did when I started. And I'd come in the house, say, all right, ma'am, I'm done. She's like, great, now you can come in the house. I thought I was done and I was clean. How many of you know I wasn't clean yet? Mom said, great, now it's time to go get in the tub. There's more work to be done. There's more work to be done, but I want you to hear something in this process because it's in this area that sometimes we can get hung up and there can become a lot of wrong and false theology in this. But here's two things I want you to hear. First of all, using the analogy of my relationship with my mom, how dirty I was, it didn't affect my mom's love. How many of you know that would be true? No matter how dirty your kid is, it does not affect that loving relationship. But the second thing is, my relationship with my mom made me cleaner. Because what does every mom want to do? They want to clean their kid up. They want to get them healthy because they know if you don't start working on that kid, getting that kid clean up, a lot of things can happen. Maybe Dwayne scratched himself and there can be an infection that can come along. Maybe there's something broken that the adrenaline, Dwayne's not even feeling it right now. So she gets me ready. One of these things happened. I would play a lot of ice hockey, pond hockey, and I would come home thinking I'm warm and fine as soon as I hit the house until my feet hit the warm water and the instant pain because my feet were frostbitten that I didn't know about. But the warmth of the water revealed it and brought healing. See, this is what the Lord does in our life. This is what the Lord does in our life. That proximity helps us. But in walking this out, Paul illustrates a key thing in that our process of walking out, it begins with death. Isn't that encouraging? Aren't you glad you came here this weekend? 
It begins with death. Death is the way out. Here's what Paul says in verse 4 in chapter 7. He says, you died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. That's difficult. See, we, were, we are born sinners. We've been born into sin. This is our inheritance. And this is our relationship when we are born. And to explain this, Paul uses this relationship by talking about marriage. Love and marriage. See, marriage is the strongest relational covenant that we have in our society. And when the Bible talks about marriage, it defines marriage as a sacrificial commitment between a man and a woman for the good of the other. Did you hear that? It's a sacrificial commitment between a man and a woman for the good of the other. See, when the Bible talks about marriage, it is more about action than emotion. How many of you found that to be true? Emotion's good, but there's a lot of action involved in a healthy marriage. That's why we have words in the Bible describing marriage, like Ephesians 5, where it says that you're willing to die for her. Genesis 2, leave father and mother and hold fast to her. See, when I got married, there was a death involved. I don't know if Stephanie realized that, right? There was a death involved. Baby wasn't there. Single Dwayne died that day. Actually, single Dwayne died when we got engaged, but that just confirmed it right there. My singleness was done when I got married because at that point, I'm fully committed to Stephanie. There's no more dating other girls, and my relationship, even with women, changed. Now there is a line drawn It is a very bold line. It is a very clean line. And it is a line that protects the relationship. It didn't mean I didn't have friendships anymore. But what it meant is that now there's a line. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's a line there. There is a strong line there. And when this is violated, the results are devastating for everyone involved. That's why the line is so clear. You know, it it concerns me when I see people trying to get so close to the line without crossing over and they go, I'm okay. That's not love. In every area in our life, when I love you and I protect you, my goal is not to get near that line. Because I don't want to fall over it. I don't want to trip over it. I don't want a toe to get over it. Because I love my wife. I love my family. I love the community. This is the strongest covenant. When it is broken, it affects everybody involved. And see, Paul's point is this. Paul's point is that when we have, that we have entered into the wrong relationship, that we have this relationship with sin. And it's destructive. And he continues this out. He's saying that the only way out of this relationship with sin is through death with Christ. We have to die to it. Why do we have to die? Why do we have to be so drastic in this approach? We have to die because sin has taken root in our life. Or for some people here, it's taken root. Do you say root or root? You don't know. Okay. Right? So sin has taken root or root in all of us, and roots are hard to remove. How many gardeners out there? It is very, very difficult, because sometimes we're going to look at it, and our approach may be to a lot of situations, is we'll look at somebody having a hard time, and we'll say, just stop it. That's the worst counselor in the world, isn't it? Right? There have been so many jokes by so many comedians going into, 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 uh, into counseling, and the counselor listens. At the end of it, they go, well, just stop it. Done. It doesn't work. There's a root there. There's a lot going on there. 
If you try that approach, whether it's with weeds or with your kids or anything in your life, you know that approach of either ignoring it or just saying stop it or just trying to ignore it, it's going to get worse. So I had a great illustration yesterday. As I was thinking about this analogy and, and, and walking through, I had to deal with the sin of bamboo in my yard. Have you dealt with this? See, some people think bamboo is wonderful. Panda bears love bamboo. And I love bamboo furniture. I love all the pretty things around. But in the Pacific Northwest, bamboo is not native for here. As a matter of fact, bamboo is very invasive. And you may have been someone who you've gotten a place where someone thought they could play around with bamboo. And they put it in this container to contain it. Do you know what bamboo is great at? Escaping. And going. And the more I dug it up, the more I saw it was there. Two years ago, I tried it. My pickaxe broke, and so I gave up, and I tried it again yesterday. The battle's still raging. Pray for me in that. <laughs> but what an illustration of sin, right? We, it's pretty. Pandas love it. Why wouldn't I want to have it? And then you see it take over. It was made to take over. And the only cure for it is to remove all the roots And the longer it's there, the deeper it goes. And so that's why Paul is saying the only cure for sin is to die with Christ. You need to die. But the problem is we can't die on our own. We need Jesus. This is why Jesus died for us, and he invites us to walk in this. When we talk about what it means to die for Christ, I think about one of my favorite verses, right? We've said it many times. It's in in Galatians 2 where it says, For I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. For the one who loves me and gave his life for me. I love that verse. But that verse goes on to say, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. See, we're called as followers of Christ to die to ourselves. The old nature is gone. It is a spiritual death. Dying to that sinful nature that is controlling us. Because see, the problem with not dying with Christ is that we allow sin to have life in us. The problem with not dying to sin is that we allow it to have life, just like that bamboo. If you don't take care of it, its nature is to take over and to control So what do we do with this habitual sin? What do we do with these challenges that we have? What do we do? Lord, I've prayed. And I'm still struggling. What do I do? See, Paul closes out this section with a very important part that I believe a lot of times as followers of Christ, we haven't leveraged into. And Paul acknowledges the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says in verse 6. He says, But now we have been released from the law, for we have died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. See, Paul is saying that death affords us a new opportunity. It is a new beginning. It is a fresh start. It's a wonderful life. One of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life, right? You get to see what it would have been like, and then you get to jump back in and now just live the life that we're called to live. It's a fresh start. See, our new life, Paul is saying, it is a life in the Spirit because we cannot serve God without the Holy Spirit. 
Because the Holy Spirit is God. It's part of the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I've talked to people before. They're like, well, I don't really need to go over in that. Like, well, that's God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's like trying to swim without water. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. See, the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, 16, we know that the Spirit in us is evidence of that new life. It's the evidence of that new life because the Spirit, it transforms us and empowers us. When we give our life to Christ, His Spirit now fills us, empowers us, enables us to follow God. See, God's plan is not that we walk around just looking at a book. Imagine getting married and your spouse just has this book on marriage and opens it up and all they do is walk around. Every time you talk to them, they try to get to the right page and go, all right, this is what I need to do to have a good marriage here. Now, do you need to read the book? Yes. Do you need to know the book? Yes. Do you need to hide it in your heart? Yes. But God has called us to walk with our heads up, focused on him, filled and empowered by the Spirit to lead us and to guide us, to silence the self-talk in us that's out to destroy us, and to listen to the voice of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, regenerating us, even when we're in our struggle, to bring us back to God, to transform us. See, when you look through Scripture, you see this continually. The Holy Spirit's our helper. It empowers us. It shows us how to pray. It regenerates us. It reveals Christ to us and in us. It transforms us into the image of Christ. It comforts us. It's an advocate for us when we are hurting. How many are looking for an advocate today? Someone to help you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's our advocate. And it guides us in all truth. And the Holy Spirit also convicts us of sin. Why? Because God loves us. Just like the mom with the little kid coming in full of mud. It's looking and saying, you know what, there's some scrapes here we've got to take care of because that'll get infected and that'll destroy your arm. Never forget, Satan is out to shame you. Satan will tell you of all your failures, but it's to push you down, it's to destroy you. God says, there's something wrong. Will you allow me to work in your life to bring healing? And some things are instant. And some things are, I'm going to walk you through this valley because I want to show you some other things. Are you willing to trust me? See, there are things in my life that as I'm walking with God, that I'm like, God, why won't you just do this? Why won't you just do this? You ever prayed that prayer? Get ready for a long conversation. God, why won't you just do this? Maybe you've said like me sometimes, if I were God... And then I hear this voice, Dwayne, you, you can't handle it. <laughs> you, yeah. Thank God that I'm not God. We need to trust the Lord. Trust his work in us. And say, God, just like the prayer of Job, though they slay me, yet I will praise you. You are God. I will trust you. See, we look at God like this. What's happening here, step by step? Do you know how God looks at us? Like this. From the beginning of time to the end. From where you are right now to where he's leading you on into eternity. He's an amazing architect, an amazing engineer. And he's saying, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to follow me? That the tougher it gets, does that mean the closer you're going to walk with me? The more pain you have, the more you're going to come to me and walk and allow me to comfort you. Allow me to walk at that process in you. That's a very difficult process. 
It's a very difficult process. But see, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 16, he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't hear them now. But he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. How much truth? All truth. There's things that God's trying to say to us, but we can't hear them now. Have you ever said that to your children and to your students and to people around? I'm trying to tell you something, but you can't hear it right now. You know there are things that God spoke to me 20, 30 years ago that, that just today I'm, I'm going, that's why. <laughs> you know that my dad's had that experience, things that were spoken to him as a little boy that now up in his 90s? Starting to see it. And you know there are things from early in my dad's life that he's, he's still going, Lord, I'm just trusting you in this. This is the work of the Holy Spirit that Paul's talking about. Jesus fulfilled the law. We find freedom from sin through dying with Christ and now walking with Jesus, but we need that Holy Spirit alive in us. Amen? We need that work. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, I believe that you're doing a work here. I know you're doing a work. Lord, your spirit is speaking. But Lord, so many times it's hard for us to listen. Just like Jesus said, there's so many things I want to tell you, but it's hard for us to hear right now. So Holy Spirit, fill us. If that's your prayer today that you want to hear, just invite the Holy Spirit to fill you. Holy Spirit, fill my life. See, when we give our lives to Christ, when we surrender to him, his spirit fills us. But the Bible talks about this second, this empowering, this boldness, this equipping. Lord, we need that. We need you. We need you, oh God. Father, I want to hear from you. I want to walk in the fullness of what you have. I want the fullness to be in me, and I want that to be realized in my family, in my friends, in this community, as we walk it together, following you following you, O Lord. If you're struggling today, if you've come into this place and you're, maybe you have all these questions, let me encourage you to allow the Spirit to fill you. To walk in Him, to have that power. And I know for me, as I was walking through this process in high school, high school is a challenging time. A lot of temptations, a lot of things came out. And I saw some very difficult things as it relates to the Holy Spirit. I saw people who claimed that they had the Holy Spirit, but they were very hurtful. Have you ever experienced that? And you're like, I don't want any of that. And then this wonderful evangelist who grew up in Africa came through our area. Powerful man of God, very quiet. And he talked to me. He said, Dwayne, what are you scared of? I said, well, I don't want to be like some things I've seen. You know, I grew up in a very legalistic area, a very loving area, but a lot of legalism, and that's not God. And he looked at me. He said, Dwayne, what are you afraid of? I said, I'm afraid of being a hypocrite. I'm afraid of not receiving an empowerment from the Lord. And he looked at me. He said, why would God invite you to have something and then not give it to you? 
And it was this very peaceful, wonderful thing of a work of God. Some of you are walking in this, and some of you, this is what you're walking through. I want to invite you today, as our prayer teams go to the side and around the front, if you're struggling with hearing God, if you're saying there's so many questions, we need to respond today. Go and pray with somebody. Maybe it's as it relates to the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's your struggles. But we need to talk it out. The enemy wants you to be silent. When we're quiet, that's when the enemy starts to get ownership in our life. Speak to somebody. Pray to somebody. But let's respond today. This is not coercive. This is invitational. To come forward and say, Lord, move in my life. I'm struggling with so many things. I need your help today, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. Surrender. I believe in you. As the worship team leads us, I want to invite you to respond in several ways. Go pray with somebody. Maybe you want to turn to the person next to you, pray with them, talk to them about it. Maybe you want to journal. Maybe you want to go to the prayer wall and just write it out. That's so helpful. We also have communion stations as you go around saying, Lord, I receive your bread and the cup representing your body and your blood. Heal me today. But let's take some moments to respond to the word of the Lord. Amen? Let's respond to him today. Don't leave this place without responding. See what the Lord would do in your life today as we respond to him.